Hey, everyone. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Charity Charge podcast. Yes, I'm getting a little bit smile from my guest, Tim Scott, who's in the studio. I do love plugging how awesome this Charity Charge podcast is. But no, in all seriousness, um, I have an amazing guest today. And I think before I go into that, I do want to just give a little bit of a shout out to thank everyone that's been following along. It has been so much fun getting this podcast off the ground. I was just got back from a conference in Chicago with MasterCard and one of the first things that uh, a couple of people said is, hey, we saw you're doing a podcast and we love it. So it has just been a ton of fun, something I've wanted to do for a while. And um, we have another amazing guest today. So without any further ado, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine who is Tim Scott. And he is currently a UT professor at the Stan Richards School of Advertising and Public Relations. He runs a handful of courses that I think are going to be super interesting. We're going to learn a lot from him today. Three of those courses and subject matters, um, he teaches integrated communications for nonprofit organizations, branding for social enterprises, and communicating sustainability. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad, you know, it's kind of the small town of Austin that we ran into each other, you know, only a week or two weeks ago, and yeah. we're able to do this so quickly. But you're someone that I've wanted to have on for a while, and, you know, even um, just kind of jumping right into it. Um, I think it was maybe a year ago or so I came as a speaker at your class um, yeah, and yeah. I know you have a lot. So maybe tell the audience a little bit about your background and then can we start with that course? Um, can you tell them a little bit about what that class was Yeah, and uh, I'll have a few questions for you. Yeah, sure. Um, no, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's a good lead in. Um, my background, uh, I was in the military for a while. I was in the air force then. Did some graduate work. Uh, I started a social enterprise myself uh, that helps employ the homeless. And then uh, also started doing some speaking engagements and started teaching classes at UT Austin. I've done uh, a ton of them and they're great. It's actually really exciting to see students come in with this kind of hunger to create a career that is not purely just profit driven. I think a lot of them see the world as it is right now as not a fantastic place and they actually want to do something about it. So the idea of just this traditional career trajectory of, you know, you go to college and you get a job and you buy a bunch of stuff maybe you don't need and then you retire, that just doesn't really appeal to them versus being able to have a career that has impact. And so I know personally, I've seen a ton of students as of late really come in with a passion to figure out how do I make my work work for the world around me? And also, what do I do about all these problems? Uh, so they have the motivation. They just don't necessarily know where to aim it. And so we've been able to give them a lot of direction in regard to like how you can have a great career in nonprofit world, not as a, you know, secondary after I retire. A lot of people think, oh, if I get a job in nonprofit, like, oh, I'm not going to be financially rewarded. And I guess that'll be my give back. Uh, but no, if you're good at something, you, you can get a really great career doing it. Um, and then also the option of social enterprises or even bringing social initiatives to larger organizations that maybe haven't been able to, uh, integrate them fully into the organization. So <clears throat> giving them a little bit more direction has been kind of the goal, but with the specific class that you came to, that was uh, branding for social enterprises. So in that class, what we do is teach, uh, a lot of the visual identity messaging and integrated communication that needs to go into a social enterprise so that people can best understand and absorb what that impact is for each company. Say, um, you know, Tom's is like the classic social enterprise example, one for one. 
It's very digestible. You understand it. Then when you look at their logos and their branding and the pictures, it all is very cohesive. It just makes sense. It's amazing too. You know, it's almost in an example like that, I would say for anybody who's listening along that doesn't come from a traditional kind of branding marketing background, sometimes, you know, well, not sometimes, literally the best branding marketing advertising is so simple that you don't even realize that you're being advertised or marketed to, you know, so that's, but I think it's interesting as you're going in this and I love the path that you're going. I just take a step back for a second just to say, you know, I think that, um, especially for these students that obviously are coming into this with a sense of purpose. Um, I think what you are doing with this course, and you're going to go into in a little more detail, kind of breaking down the layers of what goes into a social enterprise. And then yeah. especially from the, the messaging standpoint is awesome. I think, um, you know, a lot of times we passively go through life um, and uh, just, uh, just see, see things kind of for what we think that they are, mm. but don't realize that there's a lot of work going behind them. And then the other thing I just would say before we go much further is I really want to acknowledge and applaud you for what you're doing to help these students. Um, as I'm sitting here, you know, I only graduated college and now I'm dating myself a little bit, but 11 years ago, and there was no sort of really term of social impact. Mm. My college didn't offer courses around, uh, they might've had some basic entrepreneurship, but not in this, this lens of like the integration of nonprofits and social impact. And mm. it's just so cool. And I, I also think it's awesome that you're doing it and that University of Texas right here in Austin is offering it to these these students. It's super cool and it's really laying an amazing foundation. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why we partly wanted to have you come in. I think that Charity Charge is a really good example of great branding and messaging that makes sense. It's easy to digest and people get it, you know. Um, if you're going to give me the... The, the pat on the back there, the thumbs up. I should acknowledge um, Laura and Al Reese. They're, mm. they're based in Atlanta. And, and Laura Reese is the one that came up with the, with the name Charity Charge after visiting with me many years ago. Yep. Um, and so, that, you know, look, for a second, I, I will talk about that just to say that I intuitively felt that, you know, what we were doing very much was so different than traditional financial services coming at it with a real mission coming at it with this, this obviously clear give back, not even component, literally it was what our company was. And so as I thought about how we differentiate ourselves and how we are and will be different, I knew that we needed to cut through the noise and the clutter. And Mm -hmm. so it started with having a great brand. I mean, and very much that obviously starts first with the mission mm-hmm. and then you tie in the name and you tie in the identity and you build everything else around it. And, and then you, but it's, but it, but knowing that that's, I started with the Reese's and I reached out to an expert, you know, to try to get educated on this because like your students, I came in, I knew nothing about branding and naming and any of that. So, um, but you, you did know. a good job sourcing the people that did and you ultimately gave the check to the right choice, which was the direction that you went. If you're going to say that, what I happily tell other people because they're so amazing, um, this is getting, we'll go into it briefly and then I I really want to get back to you. But what pretty much nobody knows is that way back when we were going to raise some money from an angel investor in Austin. And it is a very long story, but at the 11th hour, even after signing a term sheet, the guy backed out of the deal Mm -hmm. and I'm not even going to say anything more than that. Okay. It was a great lesson for me to learn. 
So, and, and, and eventually I will, but this could go on and on, but it's all part of the story and stuff. We had had a meeting set up to fly into Atlanta to meet with Alan Lara Reese, and they were already going to give us a discounted rate, given the mission and all of that, operate the session. So I had to reach out to Lara and I, um, I had, to, I said the news and I said, look, I don't have any money. I can't afford to pay you. I'm really sorry. I can't come in. Um, and she said, you already have your flights. Just come in. We'll do it for free. We want to help you out. That's and then great. she's been a friend and a trusted advisor and just an awesome supporter of our work. That's and great. and she just did it to help us out. And it was just really awesome. So yeah. everyone should know that the, the charity <laughs> charge came because Laura Reese was just generous to us and, and asked for nothing. Oh, and very talented. She did good work. It's uh, a good example of, and you mentioned it a minute ago, the idea of it was, uh, intrinsic to the brand itself. The idea of the social impact was not a afterthought. It wasn't, we do this. And then if we do enough, we'll blow. You know what I mean? It was inherent within the model itself. And that's what we try to teach in the class about how to visually represent that and to show that within the messaging itself. Because if there's anything that Gen Z and millennials specifically really are able to see through, it's uh, authenticity. If it's bullshit, they can tell. Like, absolutely. It's the same with the rest of us, honestly. It's not just that generation, but um, they're much more sensitive to it in a way. And anything that has a little bit of a gloss to it, that's a little too polished, doesn't really work for them. And if you have an impact model that literally seems as though it's an afterthought, which is how you structure the messaging, we do this and this so that we can burp, burp. If that back part is not really natural, they're going to see it immediately and go, well, you're not really doing that. You're just kind of doing it if you get a chance to. And you can see that in logos. You can see it in uh, designs of websites. You can see it. It's it's funny how people, when things look good, you just don't notice it. But when things look bad, that's when you're like, yeah, something's kind of off, whether it's like kerning of the letters, how far away they are from each other or uh, something being a little off center. It takes a lot of thought to make <clears throat> all of those elements, whether it's the visual, the messaging, the color palettes, match with as much authenticity into that social impact model as the model itself. But it's it's all the same thing. Look, and on, on a macro point, completely agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of smiling and, and chuckling to myself over here because one of the things, and now I appreciate it, is we spent a lot of time on the actual logo itself. But on the typeface, um, because of low budget and other things, we really rushed that through mm -hmm. um, the, the designer that was working on it. And but we've never changed it at this point because it just it is what it is. So there's part of that authenticity that's carried through. Yeah, I think one of the things I mean, there's so much more. And I, I what I would ask is um, I'd love to make this a multi part podcast and and have you back in here because there's so many other things to, to go on. But one of the things that comes up that I want to ask you your opinion on, and perhaps you see it about the students is also the psychological barrier of like fear and what's holding us back. Mm -hmm. Because I, I see, and I hear from, and I'm wondering if you see this with students and what your advice to them is it's hard when you're starting out to quote, get it perfect. And it's never perfect, but you got a limited time. You've got a low budget. So sometimes you, you got to take your best shot and just move forward. But you know, everything you're first talking about is like, how do we get it right? Mm -hmm. um, but what's the balance there? And what advice would you give to your students that maybe have an idea, 
but but have feel some sense of fear like well i don't have the perfect name and i don't have like oh my logo's per-. like what do you say to to people like that that want to get started um so a lot of the students they'll have great ambition but not really an understanding of how they can turn it into real life they have kind of an idea and they think wow should i start my own business should i start my own brand should i go work for somebody else and learn for a while should i internship what should i do and generally um I tell them just do something immediately, like right now, just do it. And they say, but what if that's the wrong way? I can almost guarantee you it will be like, like nine times out of 10, whatever you first do when you come out of college, it's not going to be what you do for the rest of your life. And it's, you just accept that and say, fine, then you can see it as a lesson. It's just a little bit of time. If it goes great, awesome. Now, you know, a little bit more about what you really want to do. If it goes bad, great. Now, you know, a little bit more about what you don't want to do. There's no lose in that situation, whether the experience is really uh, tough or really, really beneficial. It's probably going to be both simultaneously, right? Like you're going to have good things and bad things, write down all the lessons in between, and then kind of gear your map in the direction that feels right as you move forward. But when it comes to them, like launching a thing and saying, Oh, I'm not ready yet. Or what do I do? Or, you know, looking to get some kind of checkbox where you all of a sudden are now with authority to go and do the thing that you wanted to do. No one is going to give you the authority to go do it. You just need to do it. And the only thing that I really had as a, as a regret, even for myself, um, when, when I had originally started my company was that, uh, I waited, I waited until I thought I had a thing that people wanted. And what I came to find out is that the thing that I made is, not even really the perfect iteration of that thing. And so I had to make it again and again and again. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if your first launch, like if you're not embarrassed of your first product just a little bit, then you probably waited too long, right? It should be scary and it should be rough and just put it out there and let the market decide, all right, we need to change this, you know, adjust that, maybe do it in purple instead of green. Who knows? But the, the goal is just to do it, not to wait until you feel perfect. If you wait until you feel perfect, you're too late. Somebody else probably already did it, and now you're behind the curve. And I also think, look, what you just said there is it's all that matters. I mean, it is just all that matters. And even for us, I mean, we look, we started with our initial consumer product, put that into the market. And look, I dealt with a ton of trepidation a ton of fear, a ton of trying to make things perfect, all of that. We could have gotten it to the market. Now I realize the psychological and mental limitations that I had put on myself. Yeah. Um, but in the process of putting that product in market, it allowed us to build relationships and trust with nonprofits mm-hmm. who then demanded that we make a business card just for them, mm-hmm. which really was the right opportunity. And so if you just look at the absolute tried and true progression of businesses, nonprofits, whatever it is, it is rare. It is just so bizarre that you would get it right the first time. Yeah. But you got to put something out there to learn and get feedback, whether like you're saying, it's the career, like, what do I do? Do you know, do I go this path? Do I go that? Or in the case of an entrepreneur and putting some sort of product or service to the market, they're going to be the judge. It's really, and then you just iterate from there. It's kind of in a similar vein, whether you're going to go into a career, develop a product, new student going out into the world, 
Uh, you want to hear an interesting stat? Um, how long do you think the average college student is staying in their first job? Like very first job, I just graduated. How long do you think they stick with it? Two years? Six months. Wow. Like the average stat is that you'll get six months in that first job. And then you're going to go move to the next thing. I think part of it is because, holy crap, this is what working every day looks like. This sucks. Some people have a hard time with that and it jades their opinion of that first job. But then also, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. And you got to kind of find your right fit. And that's just an average. Some people stay for a really, really long time. Some even less than that. But it is a stat that I think actually alleviates a lot of fear in some of the students when I tell them that. When I say, look, it kind of doesn't matter. But I don't know if this is the right fit. I don't know if this is perfect. It really doesn't matter. Because odds are it won't in six months and you'll move on to the next thing. So just take it for what it is. Enjoy it. Try to get as many lessons out of it as you can. And then make that next step forward. When it comes to founders and even students where I see the commonality is that students see themselves and their careers as synonymous in the same way that founders see their company as themselves. Uh, you could even think like uh, question number two, usually people always make when we meet each other, we say, hi, what's your name? I'm Tim. Oh, what do you do? Why? The fact that that is like the standard second question for like almost everything uh, really puts a lot of pressure. You really should just in, start a movement, invent something different. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Second, what's your favorite color? Yeah. Right. What, what kind of macaroni noodles do you prefer? Shells or elbows or whatever? I don't know. What's your favorite cat? Uh, it, there could be a thousand other questions that equal your identity as a person. But for some reason, we've decided to rely on, um, you know, what we do. And I think it's because we like to stratify ourselves and be like, oh, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? Uh, it's kind of dumb in that sense. But it's put all this pressure on us to really define ourselves. Well, the irony we is do. that no one gives a shit about what the other person does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a default. Yeah. I mean, look, we... We do, but I'm also just talking the big picture of just the human mind and the ego and yeah, like what it's really odds all about. are you won't remember. Yeah. Even if you're somebody's like, yeah. I do this, and then like 20 minutes later, if you quiz and say, What did that guy do? You'd be like, I don't know. I don't even remember his name, unfortunately. Yes. But, yes. but, but still, we remember that we got asked what we did so many times in a night. Well, but I love that you even have awareness around that. You know, that's like kind of the first step. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think it's also it's, nobody's wrong. It's just a habitual pattern. It's just the society. Yeah kind of norm thing that we uh that we do we're trying out a little bit of filming this time around and yeah, rough and tumble here no it's something that we kind of fall into is like a natural process we ask what each other does and i think that we kind of absorb that as a common thing and we start to see ourselves as synonymous with what we do and the problem what inhibits us in my opinion the psychology of that is that if you have a student that knows that the rest of their life is often in their opinion, going to be defined by what they do. They put so much pressure on that job and on that first step out into the working world that it inhibits them. It seizes them up from being able to just make a decision, even if it's not perfect. And the same thing happens with founders where they see themselves as so synonymous with uh, their organization that they're starting or their company that they have to get it perfect because they're perfect. And I'm a unique dynamic person. And so is my company or so is my organization and it'll seize them up from being able to just do something make the mistakes learn and then pivot from there and yeah it ends up being a regret it's a common regret that i hear 
from either students or founders of organizations and uh, and different groups is that I waited too long. I waited too long. It, I, I tried to get it perfect and it never was. And then I waited too long. Anyway, long-winded way to say it. But, no, you uh, know, just look, do something. It, it's long. It, it is. You know, I think that we're going to, we're going to make this a multi-part because there's a lot of things that I want to go into on a technical aspect of kind of not, it's not tips. It's more than that, but kind of, kind of tried and true, like suggestions and mm -hmm. advice you would have, um, for social enterprises. And then also, you know, communications for nonprofits. I think that, yeah. that that's something that I really want to delve into, but, but I think this is a, this is a good topic to finish off this podcast, the episode, because it's very much, it's the foundation. I mean, all these other things are like the strategies or the kind of the how to's mm -hmm. and we're talking a lot about the need to be perfect, the need to get it right, which is something that I have massively struggled with and continues to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that what I would share is a couple things that, that I kind of realized doing some kind of work on myself. And I more recently did this thing called the landmark forum. Um, before that I'd read a lot of these like kind of self-help books or you watch like that, uh, a lot of stuff from Tony Robbins or like the net, yeah. you know, I am not your guru and all of that stuff. But to me, the common theme, what really helped me is this process of just trying to identify, um, early on, you know, moments, almost like your first childhood moments when you, they basically say in the landmark forum, they call it when you realize that something's not right here. So it's kind of like you, for me, I thought back to a time I can remember the first time was when I was three and the very first time my dad yelled at me and I had, uh, and I could go into like the details of it and then you try to look at it from a different perspective. But part of what I got out of it as much as like, I think absolutely fondly of my father and he was a great, great, great person. I did realize that part of how I grew up was I will not be loved if I'm not perfect. And that wasn't, that was what I thought he had, you know, Jeez. it was not true at all. I mean, I'm able to now see it in a completely different light, like for what reality is, mm -hmm. we all create these stories. And oftentimes we have some sort of jarring or shocking experience when we're young and we don't have the wherewithal and like the smarts and the brain development, everything. Mm -hmm. And we immediately think that if I'm three and I did something wrong and my dad snaps or yells at me to correct me that I'm bad. Wow. The only way I'm going to get love is to do things perfectly. And I'm going kind of deep here. But once I started to realize that and like play through, I realized that there's no, there's no perfect. And I'm just perfect as I am. And there's no like thing as really as mistakes. And you just start to be the expression of who you are. Yeah. And it's, so these, these are kind of the foundational things that I think so many people might have a different reason why they're trying to be quote perfect. Um, but a lot of times for anyone listening, it's really based in something that's early on, you know, that you can trace back to your childhood, which creates this mental map of your values, um, and how, and your lens for how you see the world. And then you just take that through the rest of your life. And, you know, at 33, while I had matured in a lot of other areas, in some respects, I was still acting like a three-year-old. <laughs> I just had this, this pattern drilled into me. It seems like you pivoted that into 
wanting to do something great for the world though. Yeah. But you, know, you I, see I also, your own want to be better or want to, you know, reach whatever goal you've set in your own mind. And you apply that to some of the issues of the world as well to help found your company. I do. But even Tim, so the answer is yes. And that's there. And I think this is what the beauty of it is for everyone is that we all generally, I mean, are operating at some lesser version of ourselves mm. of what we can really give and contribute and be and the joy and the fulfillment that we can have. And when you start to unlock and you can go from 80% to 95% or, or 70% to 85% or 80% to a hundred percent, um, everything changes. Even this podcast, I look at it, I've wanted to do this for years and I struggled to do it because I wanted it to be perfect. Just as we were talking before and have it all filmed. I worried about what people would think of me if it, if I didn't ask the right questions, if, if it was a dud or, and I worried about just getting started, like, well, yeah, everybody has all these big podcasts and these big followings, but you know, we're going to look small because we only have like one, two, and now we got eight episodes out and, you know, I got about 15 more in the archive and we're just going to keep doing it because I'm just living it now. Yeah. Um, We'd be having this conversation if there weren't microphones here too. That's why I like it. Not yeah. just your podcast, but why I like the industry that we're in, whether it's social enterprise or, or nonprofit world at all, is that um, there are a lot of lessons to be learned. And in that community, people want to talk to each other and learn from one another because the goal is not just to have a big successful business. It's to actually help people. And, and I think... For, this is one for me, of the and I think while helping people have the fulfillment along the way mm -hmm. too, as much as possible. Um, but what, and what you just said there is so, so, so true. I think that's the, the beauty of sharing, talking, understanding other people's problems. Um, cause so much, we just want to be heard even with what I'm sharing with you now, you know, it's therapeutic, but absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've had a, a real honest conversation with another entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, someone starting out, you know, that's kind of at the stage that I'm at mm -hmm. and boy, and we've had a, we've had a bunch of those over, you know, a handful of drinks yeah. and, and, and I've always left those like, I'm not alone. <laughs> There's other yeah. people going through the exact same shit. Yeah. You can see the burnout in the eyes, the, the dark circles that says I've got, you some, stayed up I've got long. gray hairs now. Yeah. And not many, but they're popping up. They're well yeah. earned. And I no, and I love trophies. Like, is yeah. What they are. This is through the, 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 the BS that I carried through up until, you know, really in June kind of realizing to just live full expression of who I am. <laughs> That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> try it out, you know, pretty crazy. Um, but then, but yes, I mean, I think that, I think that that's something that I've really appreciated about you is just seeing in you um, myself yeah. very much so. No, it's always good talks. And uh, I always walk away having learned something about it too with, uh, with class. Did you have a good time? I had a good time. I was a little rushed <laughs> that day. So I want to come back when, uh, when I can get up there and, and, and give a more proper presentation of the class. But, you know, I, I think even just with what we kind of riffed on there is, you know, hopefully, um, you know, some foundational things that, um, that, that I think are good, you know, for, for anyone at any stage, but, but I think what you're sharing and you're seeing from these students mm -hmm. is just how a lot of people are walking through the world. It was good when you come in, you, uh, with your organization, 
have a good kind of split uh, perspective where you yourself are a social enterprise and you have your own unique struggles with branding and messaging and how do you get you know more business. But you also have so many different touch points with nonprofits of the world and working with them and having to understand their needs and how your product fits in to their wants and needs to achieve their goals as well. So having you be able to come in and speak to the students really helps give them two perspectives on options that they can go out and do with their careers down the line. And with them really just opening their eyes to the fact that these are things you can do with your life. You can go and do this and it's a real job that someone will give you money for is really, really beneficial. Um, well, I'd like to actually, I really appreciate you saying that the next time I'm going to come in, I will prep it from two perspectives of just the struggles that I see big picture, but day to day that nonprofits are, are facing with and how they yeah. could, you know, if they want to work or start a nonprofit, um, and then, um, and then obviously the social enterprise aspect, but yeah, yeah. you do right. two of those things that I think are, are really the, some of the most difficult stuff that I see for the world of nonprofits and, and even social enterprises as well is, uh, one funding, like how do we get funding? If it's a social enterprise, it's how do we obtain sales? If it's a nonprofit, it's how do we get more donors? How do we get corporate partnerships? Yeah, but also what you know really well, kind of in, in the Mitscoots world as a social enterprise, I think the social enterprise come through is tr trying to help educate the nonprofit side, the pure the pure nonprofits of this unearned revenue stream, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the ones that I do for any of the like, consulting work that I do on the side. It's usually uh, help with funding and help with messaging. It's the why. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the why for so many organizations gets treated really heavy handed wise. It's, um, it's just something that, uh, it needs to be done with a strategic approach, not just like, this is why help help. So helping with that can be really beneficial. Okay. Well, that bling means that this episode is concluded. You know, what we decided to do is just make this a multi-part series. So we look forward to having Tim Scott on in future episodes. So many just amazing things. I love this guy so much of what he has learned along the way as a social entrepreneur running Mitscoots, and then also putting into practice, helping students through his professorship at the University of Texas. Can't wait to have him on again. Hope you all enjoyed this episode so much with Tim Scott. It's really been an honor and a privilege and a pleasure and having so much fun with this podcast. So please, please, please uh, keep listening and let us know any feedback or if you have a guest you'd like to have on, simply email me, Stephen with a PH. So that's Stephen at charitycharge.com. Thanks so much.